I invite your attention this morning to the book of 1 Peter, chapter 2. 1 Peter, chapter 2. We're continuing a series in the book of 1 Peter that we've called Stand Firm in God's Grace. And we're moving toward a new section of our study. We talked about standing firm in God's grace through salvation all throughout chapter 1. And now we're moving toward a sense of standing firm in God's grace through submission. Looking at who we are in various relationships, at home and at work and in the world. Peter has encouraged the believers that are struggling, very, very difficult circumstances of persecution and oppression. And he encouraged them by telling them all that they have in Christ. And now he's going to begin to talk to them and to us about who we are in Christ. Let me tell you a quick story about a young boy named John. He, he's real. His name is John Owen, actually. And John grew up like many little boys with great aspirations and dreams of playing professional sports. He was a very gifted athlete. He was a pitcher. And John, from an early age, had a, an incredible talent for pitching. In fact, it was noticed that he had such talent, ultimately to the point that he was drafted by a major league team. All of his dreams were there in that phone call. And he was sent to the minor leagues. Well, John, in pitching, had a little bit of trouble with a, a nagging injury, so he had some surgery on his pitching arm, and it just seemed to be like many professional athletes. He just struggled in his career. It never quite took off like he anticipated because of the plague of this injury. And he was traded from one team to another and then traded to another. And an interesting thing happened. Maybe some of you even know this story. The, the throngs of baseball fans that, that, that I know, lots and lots of people around me, I've asked people this week if they've ever heard of him, and, and almost none had ever heard his story. His story's about 10 years old now. John Owen was traded to a team in Canada. And in the trade, there were some immigration issues, and he couldn't get a visa to go from the United States to Canada. So he never stepped foot in that country, and yet he was employed by a minor league professional baseball organization. Well, they finally realized that it was going to be futile and it was going to cost an extreme amount of money to get all of the, the visa issues cleared. And so they decided that they were going to trade him. And through sort of a strange set of circumstances, a manager of another minor league team jokingly made an offer and they accepted. John Owen was traded from his team for a bag of 10 baseball bats brand new wooden maple wonderful incredible bats but his worth to that team was equated with a bag of bats you can imagine that opposing teams had a field day with that in fact they began to call him batman you chuckle. You can imagine the, the hurled insults at him. In fact, it turned from Batman to Batboy. And they just gave him all kinds of grief. Literally, this team from the Midwestern United States shipped to Canada a bag of 10 bats, and he was shipped to this new city. A, a tragic timing issue happened. You see, that same summer, 
there was a movie in the Batman franchise, The Dark Knight Rises. And so people would get online and they would Google, looking for that movie, they would Google Batman and they would find John Owen's name. Here's Batman. And the story spread. So literally thousands of people heard his story. Three weeks after the trade, he quit the team. Three months after the trade, he quit baseball altogether. Six months after the trade, he overdosed on heroin and died. He, a tragic story of one whose identity began, began to be a, wrapped up by what somebody else said he was worth. You're worth nothing more to our team than these baseball bats. I wonder how many of you today have allowed the world around you to define your worth. You are striving to please others and in their eyes to impress others. You are striving in some way to demonstrate to them that you're worth something by the clothes that you wear, or the car that you drive, or the house that you own, or the, the boards that you serve on. You're trying in, in your teenage life in some way to impress people and to, to help them see somehow that you're worth something more than they might consider you worth. And as we think about identity, as we begin to think about this, this next section of 1 Peter, we begin to see who we are as the people of God. And as we see how God defines our identity and how God determines our value and our worth, I hope that you will begin to see the incredible encouragement that the people of Peter's day, his readers, his hearers would have. Because life is oftentimes trying to box us into an external sense of identity and worth. And just like John Owens, many of us have accepted the label that the society around us has put on us. And we consider our worth based on what other people think. You know, a little more lighthearted story about identity, and then we'll get to our text. I, I'm reminded this week, or was reminded of a story from the 1992 presidential election. A man by the name of Ross Perot was running for president. Many of you remember that. He, he, was, he was a little older than some of the other candidates that had been involved, and he was on his speaking tour, and he was doing all of his stump speeches, and he had lined up to speak at an assisted living home, and he was there right around the time they were transitioning from lunch to activity. And so all of the nurses and the nurses' aides were scrambling to move people from one place to another. And he was frustrated because the advanced press had not gotten there. And they didn't know he was coming. They weren't expecting him to be there and speak. And in the midst of all the chaos of, of moving from one activity to the other, his uh, security team is trying to sweep through. And finally, he grabbed one of the nurses by the shoulder. And he said, I'm supposed to speak here. And she kind of put him off and here. And he said, don't you know who I am and in frustration she said no I do not but if you'll go to the front desk they can tell you <laughs> some of you will clue into that a little later identity if I were to ask you who are you you might tell me your name you perhaps would tell me your occupation you might tell me your status in life. Well, I'm a retiree. I'm a widow. I'm a banker. I'm a housewife. I'm a student. I'm a teenager. I'm a preschooler. I, you, you would tell me something that would mark your life. 
But I want you to see today that our identity in Christ is the most foundational and fundamental heart attitude that we can develop. A clear understanding of who God says we are. In fact, I want you to hear this. Remembering who you are is vital. Uh, Listen to this quote by Andrew Murray. I'll put it on the screen. The whole Christian life depends on the clear consciousness of our position in Christ. Let me say that again. The whole Christian life depends on the clear consciousness of our position in Christ. Now, as we look for the next couple of weeks at this idea of standing firm in God's grace in submission, I want you to think with me about this big idea. Let's put this on the screen, and I want you to read it with me. Let's all say this together. You ready? Here we go. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. Let's say that again. As the people of God, we are who we are because of who Jesus is. You see, Jesus establishes the identity of every Christian. Jesus has marked the value of every Christian through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God has said about us many, many things about who we are and what we have in Christ Jesus. Uh, none uh, more poignant than we will read today. So let's look together in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. And I'm going to invite you to stand as we read the Word of God together. 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 2, beginning in verse 4. The Word of God in our hearing. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. And as the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. May God add blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Peter uses some incredible symbols to describe Christ and to describe the supremacy of Christ. In fact, he uses the symbols of of stones and living stones and a cornerstone and we're going to talk through that this morning and think about that but I want us to see that Peter basically is asking and answering two very fundamental questions to us today what does this text say to us about Christ and what does this text say to us about Christ's followers what does it say about Jesus and what does it say about those who follow after Jesus and as we look at these things together I hope that this will stir in us some incredible application It will stir in us a hunger and a desire to worship. Let me give you, if I may, a a couple of realities about Christ that we learn from our text and then applications that we learn about our own lives. The first one is this, the very first reality about Christ. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. Uh, Here, Peter uses the word living stone. 
Now, those of you that have been with us through our study have seen this is at least the third time that Peter has used language about Christ that talks about him being alive. He talked about him being our living hope. He talked about him in 123, about him being the living word. And here, the living stone. Now, I don't know about you, but I love to play on words that we see. When I think about stones, I think about something that is inanimate, something that is not filled with life, something that is just laying on the roadside. But here, Peter says, Jesus Christ is a living stone. He's trying to say to us that there is power in God for him to be uh, alive. In fact, the Old Testament makes reference after reference of a Messiah. One who would come that would be sent of God, that would be the Savior of his people. And so Peter is connecting dots to Old Testament prophecy. Don't lose sight of this. Peter's connecting dots to what is going on before him by saying that this is the one, that Jesus Christ is the living stone of God. In fact, look with me, if you will, to Isaiah 26. Don't turn there. It's on the screen. Read this with me. Therefore, this is... Read this with me. Here we go. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Look, I am placing a foundation stone in Jerusalem, a firm and tested stone. It is a precious cornerstone that is safe to build on. Whoever believes need never be shaken. You see, the Old Testament prophet said, there's coming a day that I'm going to lay a stone in Jerusalem and everything else will be built upon this cornerstone. And here Peter says he's the living stone and that would have stirred in them a great hunger for Christ, a great desire in their lives to continue on. You see, we've said over the past several weeks, there would probably be times where they could say to themselves, if I would simply put down Christ, my life would be easier. They were at a place of great persecution. If I would step away from Christianity, if I would stop claiming the name of Christ over my life, then maybe I would not have as much difficulty in this present life. And yes, that was true for a time. But when Peter reminds them over and over again of the everlasting power of God over death, that he is the living stone, that he is the living word, that he is our living hope, and in chapter 1 had talked about the inheritance kept for us in heaven, all of a sudden they would have been stirred in their affections to say, it is worth it to stay on. Yes, they can kill me, but they can't take my soul. Yes, they can rob the joy of today, but they cannot take away the hope that it is filled in tomorrow. They cannot take away the inheritance that is kept for me. They can take my home. They can take my possessions. They can take my health as they beat me into a place of of, of hurting and they can discourage and they can dissuade but they cannot destroy the living stone they cannot overcome the one who has overcome death he is alive what, what Peter is saying to them and to you and me is this Jesus is Messiah what he's saying is Jesus is the one Jesus sent by God to redeem the people of God, to build the kingdom of God. It's a testimony to the resurrection. He was raised to life, and he says to his hearers, and he says to us, you now are hearing a proclamation of power over death. Jesus has overcome it. Again, what a play on words as he picks this inanimate object. And in Peter's heart, 
he's saying you may question a lot in your current situation. And Peter would say to us today, you may be questioning a lot in your current situation. Some of you are struggling here today. Some of you are facing difficult opposition today. Some of you are struggling with doubt and discouragement. Some of you are facing an identity crisis. You are saying in your life, I don't know that I'm worth very much. You know, there's a a meteoric rise in our society in suicide these days. It's mind-boggling to think that, that we're seeing such an uptick, but I believe because of the proliferation of information, as people are spending so much time on social media and they're spending so much time in, in these circles of looking at other people's lives, they begin to compare and they say, my life's not worth very much. I'm not worth very much. And they devalue themselves because they allow the world to place the value on them. And they find themselves discouraged. And Peter is wrapping up an argument and saying to them, these are all the things that you have in Christ, but let me tell you who you are in Christ. And he's saying to us, Jesus Christ has the power of life and death in his control. He is sovereign over all things, and he is alive. And as he makes that proclamation to them, I would imagine their hearts would begin to beat faster again. As you think of who Jesus is, you need to celebrate. I don't want us to move past this today. Know this. You may question a lot in your current situation, but never, ever question the fact that Jesus Christ has overcome it all and is in total control as Lord and Redeemer and God. That was a great place for an amen. You may question a lot in your current lot, but never question that Jesus Christ has overcome it all and is in complete control as Redeemer, as Messiah, as Lord of all. I'm going to do this until we get it right. You may question a lot in your life, and I'm not playing with this. You may question all kinds of things, but do not this day question the fact that Jesus Christ has overcome it all because he overcame death and hell and the grave. He is worthy of all praise. Why? Because he is God and Lord and Redeemer and Master and soon coming King. Amen. If the church of God cannot get excited about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, then what in the world are we doing this morning? Hello? Peter, writing to a group of people. See, I've gotten so stirred up, I got rid of my microphone. Peter is writing to a group of people who are so beaten down and discouraged and disillusioned. Is this really worth it? And Peter says, yes, it's worth it all. Let me give you the second reality. Jesus is treasured by God. Jesus is treasured by God. Look at verse 4 with me. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. Let me give you another translation of this. He was choice and precious in the sight of God. God the Father made a decisive choice to make Christ the king of his kingdom. Contrast with me the way the world looks at Jesus Christ. The world says, 
with all that we're doing, we don't need you as king. And God said, with all that I'm going to do, you are the king. Think about this. The world says you're not the kind of king we want. The, the world rejects Christ, but God has chosen Christ. The world ignored Christ, and the Bible says here that Christ is treasured by God. In fact, that word choice or chosen is the word rare. It's like a jewel that is found. It is precious. It is rare. It is valuable. Its worth is incalculable. The world says he's no good, and God said Christ is all good. The world says he's of no value, and the Bible says that God speaks of his Christ, the Messiah, as completely invaluable. You cannot calculate his worth. The world says he's crucified and forgotten, and the Bible says that he's resurrected and coming again. You see, the world says we can't use Jesus for anything we are doing, and God says this, I will use Jesus to accomplish everything that I'm doing. You see, as I think about this, Jesus is alive and he's treasured by God the Father. Straight out of our text, he is the living stone rejected by the world but chosen by God to be in this place. Reality number three, and you'll begin to see this come into focus. Jesus is the foundation of the church. He's the foundation of of the church. Look at verse 6 with me, if you will. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. He used the illustration of a living stone and now a cornerstone. Pastor, what is a cornerstone? Well, I, I looked it up. Very simply defined, it's this. It's the first stone set in construction of a masonry foundation. All other stones are set in reference to this stone. So thus, it determines the position and structure of the entire building. It determines the direction. It determines the, the sense of it being plumb or right. If the cornerstone is established correctly, then the rest of the building will be set. That cornerstone sets the foundation. Everything else will be in alignment with it. Think about that. It's the first stone set. All other stones are in reference to it. Everything else is built upon it. And everything else will be in alignment with it. What does that do for us if we consider Jesus to be the cornerstone? Spiritually speaking, hear this. Number one, Jesus is what everything else is built upon. Number two, Jesus sets the direction for the church. Number three, everything else in the church and about the church depends upon Jesus. Number four, everything in the church must be in alignment with Jesus. That takes a lot of the work out of my job and our leader's job, our deacon's job, and others. When somebody is acting in a way that is out of alignment with Jesus, we ought to be able to clearly spot it and call it out and say, that doesn't belong in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything is built upon Him and in reference to Him. And that means that our lives ought to continually be shaped and molded into alignment with Jesus. So when you find yourself tempted to gossip, that's out of line. When you find yourself tempted to lie or cheat or steal, that's out of line. When you find yourself tempted to sit on the sideline and not serve, that's out of line 
with Jesus, the cornerstone. When you find yourself tempted in some way to do something that would destroy or hurt or damage another believer, that's out of a line with the cornerstone. And I've just shared with you that the cornerstone of a physical structure is the first stone laid. It's the foundational stone laid. It's the reference point laid. Everything else is built on it and everything else is in alignment to it. That means that if Jesus Christ truly is the cornerstone of Hardy Street Baptist Church, then we ought to be able to pretty quickly tell when we're out of line with Him. Jesus is alive. He's treasured by God. And He is the foundation of the church. He is to be adored and loved by the people. Now, let me ask you a simple question. Everybody look this way. When I talk about Jesus this morning, I'm not just preaching principles. I'm not just preaching... uh, an ideal I'm preaching about a person I'm preaching about the the Lord Jesus Christ the one who gave the grace that we're talking about standing in does that stir anything about your heart to think about the magnificence of Jesus Christ Let me share with you what one pastor said about this notion of being stirred to worship. John Piper said these words, If any person or any power or any wisdom or any love awakens any admiration or amazement or any joy, let it be the greatest person and the greatest power and the greatest wisdom and love that ever existed, Jesus Christ. I don't know what stirs your heart up. Maybe your heart got stirred this weekend because of a NASCAR race or a golf tournament. Maybe your heart got stirred this week at the thought of football coming. Maybe your heart got stirred this week because of fireworks. I I don't know what stirs your heart, but can I just tell you that the more I live as a Christian, the less fascinated I am by things that are fleeting in this world, and the more I am enamored with the person of Jesus Christ, the majesty of the one who holds all things in the palm of his hand the glory of the one who would ask for relationship with me and invite me into his very throne room I find myself wowed by that I find myself moved to a place of worship I find myself oftentimes just in in the presence of God reading my Bible literally shedding tears weeping and saying oh God how good you are to me and the hearers of Peter's letter. Those that received this letter in Pontus and Galatia and Cappadocia, in in all those areas we've been talking about, this runner comes into town. I cannot get past that sight. They're beaten down and abused and terrorized. And all of a sudden, we have a letter from Peter. And you remember those opening words, Peter, an apostle of God, to God's chosen people who are scattered. And he tells them all that they have in Christ. And now he begins to tell them who they are in Christ. He is the living stone. He is the cornerstone. And your life is reference to his life. And now let's look at what it means. I told you there were two questions. One question, what does this say about Jesus? Well, it says that he's alive, that he's treasured by God, and it says that he is our foundation. But what is it for us that this text teaches us? Number one, it teaches us that in Christ we are spiritually alive. In Christ we are spiritually alive. You see, this ought to excite us and wake us to the reality. Look at verse 5. It says, very simple, this transition. And you are living 
stones. In some translations it says, and you also. As I read that, he says, here's Christ, the living stone. And he says, by the way, brother, by the way, sister, you also, you also. I I don't know about you, but sometimes when I think about meditating on Scripture, some of you try to memorize Scripture, and you say, well, I need to memorize the entire book of Leviticus to be spiritual enough. Why don't you this week memorize those two words and just hang on them? You also, you also, you also. There's a sermon there. Jesus is alive, and guess what? In Christ, you also. Jesus is favored by God, and in Christ, Why don't you personalize it and say, me too, or me also. We don't want to say that. We'll say, me also. How about that? There's enough of that all over the society, and I'm not trying to put off on, on something else. But in Christ, I am as well alive. I was dead. I was headed for a sinner's hell. I was under the wrath of God. I was enemies with God, and yet he has made peace possible through Jesus Christ. He has given to me a living hope, and he has kept for me an inheritance in heaven. He says, you also are living stones. Think about this with me. 1 John chapter 5, verse 12. It should be on the, the screen. Whoever has the Son has, read it with me. Let's just make this audience participation day, all right? Read it. Here we go. Whoever has the Son has life. Stop. That ought to make you want to shout. Let's read it again from the beginning. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have God's Son does not have life. You ever met anybody who does not have the Son of God in their life? Right here in Hattiesburg? I bet you have. We see them every day. We drive alongside them on busy corridors all throughout the Pine Belt. We work with them in office complexes. We sit with them in school. We are around people who do not have the Son. And if Jesus Christ truly is all that we have said that He is, and we have life, if we are alive in Him, then we better get busy telling others. It awakened their senses to worship. I'll say it this way, a relationship with the living stone makes us alive. Listen to the words of Warren Wearsby, all spiritual distance and division has been overcome by Christ. All spiritual distance and division. I I find myself at times praying prayers and feeling like they don't go past the ceiling. But Jesus Christ has removed that distance. He has come near to us. The Bible said that his name would be called Emmanuel, which means God with us. This morning, one of our church members was facing surgery, and I called and prayed with his wife, and I prayed very simply, you would have an awareness of the presence of God. God is here with us, and God is there in that hospital, in that waiting room with them. I had another call that a church member had lost a parent this morning. One of our church members' mom went home to be with Jesus, and I just began to pray and say, Lord, would you, in a very tangible way, show them that you were with them? I'm not praying for you to be with them. Why? Because you promised that. I don't even have to ask that. He says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I simply pray, make them aware that you're there. 
If Jesus has made you alive because you also are a living stone in Christ Jesus, the living stone, then you ought to shout hallelujah every single day and recognize that all distance and all darkness has been removed. He bridged the gap. He built for us a bridge through the cross. Number two, application. In Christ, we are built up from acceptance, not toward it. This may be one of the most significant points for someone here today who's struggling with identity and value. You don't have to work to earn acceptance in Christ. You already have it. In Christ, we are built up from acceptance, not toward it. Because Jesus is alive, we are made alive. Because Jesus is precious in the sight of God, we too are precious in the sight of God. Because Jesus was chosen by God, we too are chosen in Him. Because we are in Christ, we are loved and accepted in Him. Listen to the words of J.D. Greer, our new Southern Baptist Convention president. I love this. You don't build this building and hope to be accepted. The cornerstone of the building is the acceptance by God. The gospel is that Christ has been rejected in your place so that you can be accepted in Him. Hallelujah. So many people struggle with this. Pastor, does God really love me? Does God really accept me? Does God look favorably upon me? Can I say to you this morning, in Christ, the answer is emphatically yes. Yes. In Christ, God looks upon us favorably. In Christ, God looks upon us with great love and acceptance, but only in Christ. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. This is huge. Jesus is alive and treasured and precious, and it stirred something in them. You see, he talks about a spiritual house, and then he's going to move toward a holy priesthood. We'll read about that in the next couple of weeks. We'll begin to think about that. There's so much depth in these principles, and I wish we had time to, to really slow and walk through them. In Sunday school classes, we're hopefully walking through them, but think about this. He's talking about a dwelling place for God, that we are Living stones built up on this cornerstone, the living stone. The Bible's clear. God does not dwell in man-made temples. He doesn't build church buildings and live in them. No, He lives in the hearts of believers. He dwells in the hearts of those who have trusted Him. We who are living stones built up on the cornerstone. And then as holy priests, we have access to God. The people of God have access to God. Don't lose sight of this. We, we have access. David Dockery, another theologian, said this, Christians have access to God through Christ. We can enter His presence anytime we want to do so, yet we must not be presumptuous, overly familiar, casual, or flippant. With deep reverence, we must approach the sovereign who invites us into His presence. Today, I want you to grasp this truth that we, in Christ Jesus, are beloved and chosen of God and accepted of God, and we're accepted and we grow from acceptance, not toward it. This passage is nothing more than a celebration of the people of God and the God of those people. It's a celebration of Jesus being the master builder 
And, and he's taking these raw stones and he's redeeming them. It's not a story about any one stone. Oh, oh, there may be somebody that thinks that they're more than they are, but he is the master builder that places them into the house. It's a powerful example of community and fellowship. And I guess what I want to say to you this morning, if I could try to, to best communicate this, my, my heart has been so stirred as I think about the people of God and being a part of the people of God. That we together, as messy as it is, do life together, loving one another, encouraging one another to stay in alignment with the cornerstone. And that's our desire as a church family. And if you're not a part of Hardy Street, we want to invite you to, to connect with us and grow with us in Christ. And if you're not a part of Christ, we want to invite you today to place your faith in Him and recognize that He is the one true and stable cornerstone that will add value to your life that no one can take away. Yes, John Owen took his own life because he felt like the world had said he's worth nothing. Just a, a toss-away athlete, a has-been. And maybe you feel like life has tossed you aside. Jesus Christ takes broken pieces of our lives and He makes beautiful things out of them through His resurrection. Would you today trust Christ? Now, I want to say this, just one more very focused application, or two more, excuse me, applications. In Christ Jesus, we are built up for community for a greater purpose than ourselves. For a greater purpose than ourselves, we're built up into Him. He's saying if you're going to overcome the difficulty of life, you've got to do it together. And that leads us to the fourth application. Everything in our community must be, in built, must be built in relationship to Jesus, in relation to Jesus. Church family, look at me. We don't have to have a nice campus. We don't have to have the fanciest media and sound. We don't have to have certain clothing. We don't have to have a fancy website or mobile app. We don't have to have a cool logo. We don't have to have programs or Sunday school. We don't have to have Sunday school books. We don't have to have choir robes or an organ or a guitar or drums. We don't have to have a bulletin. We don't have to have a joy club or a student ministry. Here's what you need to hear. The only non-negotiable in this whole thing is Jesus. And my question to you today is this. Is Jesus enough? Well, I'm looking for a church, Pastor, and I want a church that will meet the needs of my kids. And I want a church that will sing the kind of music that I want to sing. And I want a, kind of, uh, a church that has a bulletin that looks this way. And I'd like for my church to have a fancy website so my neighbors can see it. None of those things will matter in eternity. What will matter is what we did with Jesus Christ. Everything that we do must be in relation to Jesus. And I'm getting to a place in my life where I just don't want to play games anymore religiously or spiritually. I just want to be a part of a community of believers who understand that it's bigger than us. That we are built on the foundation of Christ and we're growing from acceptance, not toward it. We don't have to impress anyone. We have nothing to hide. Nothing to prove and nothing to lose in Christ Jesus. That we would stand firmly on Him, the living stone who is the cornerstone. And our lives would be filled with Him. You see, if we're not built in relation to Jesus, it won't last. It will falter. It, it will fail. John Owen saw himself as a commodity. Not much different than those inanimate baseball bats that they traded him for. 
What does a commodities market do? What does the stock market do? It goes up and it goes down. It goes up and it goes down. If you see yourself as not much more than a commodity, some of you are wondering, what's this life all about? Is it really worth it? I just go and I'm, I'm earning money to sustain a living. I'm just working to live. I'm really just living to work. There's something so much more. There's an eternal purpose in Christ Jesus. And we are built for that. You were created for it. And when these that were in these regions scattered abroad from Jerusalem heard these words, it stirred in them a deep affection, a hunger for worship. And they said, I, I don't want to play games. You see, they, they didn't have the luxury of playing religious games. They just said, we just need Jesus. Today, the need of your life is Jesus. Is he enough? Let me talk to you for just one moment about your personal pursuit of Christ. Answer some questions in your heart. Are you today spiritually alive? Have you embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you embraced the good news that Jesus Christ died in your place and rose victoriously offering you eternal life? Have you embraced that today? Can you say in your heart of hearts, yes, that's me? Are you walking in your new identity in Him? I know a lot of Christians who have embraced the gospel, but they've not yet embraced who they are in Christ. They don't recognize that God has accepted them. Are you trying to find satisfaction and fulfillment in anything else besides Him? Are you trying to please Him or earn His favor? Are you passionate today about the things that he's passionate about, about people, about making disciples, about missions. You see, I really am calling out a group of people in Hattiesburg. My, my mission, I came here three years ago with a very clear mission. I want to call together people that are serious about pursuing Jesus Christ and his mission about making disciples here in Hattiesburg, about making reproducing disciples. And if you're in on that, then I want you to join me and let's go together in the days ahead. Are you heartbroken by the things that break the heart of God? Are you stirred and moved when you hear that Jesus Christ is our all in all, our living cornerstone? Today, the invitation is simple. If you're living in any way, shape, form, or fashion, beneath the privileges of being in Christ and in the community of God, then why don't you make that right today? You can trust Him and be made right in Him. You can join with this church and be made right in the community that's bigger than any of us. You let God have His way. Maybe you need to serve. Maybe you say, you know what, my heart's stirred a little bit, but it's easy for us to see starving children on television and change the channel as we go to an all-you-can-eat buffet. We're moved, but we're not convicted. Oh, we're convicted and we're not concerned. 20% of the people in this room and in this place are doing about 90% of the work. We need laborers to enter the harvest field. Let God have his way this morning. Let's pray as our musicians come. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the message of the day from Peter. Thank you for these realities about Christ and the application for our own lives. 
God, have your way during this invitation time. I pray that people would move to obedience in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to sing. And as